0: podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the objective forest.
1: Ooh, well, um,
0: sure. Thank you. You're welcome. I just, I wanted to be straightforward today. You know, we have a lot of very serious thought leaders that we're going to be discussing (laughs) this episode.
1: That's right. And so
0: we have to have an objective frame of mind. We have to be calm, collected, rational, facts, reason, logic. That's all that this episode is going to be about.
1: All right. So uh, just so everybody knows, Brent is not here again. We're going still into, not here. Still not here. We're going into more cryptocurrency stuff. And of course, Brent is just not up to the challenge to talk about that kind of thing yet. But yeah, hopefully after yeah. these two episodes... Maybe he might be able to join in for a third part of the series. Who knows?
0: Maybe, maybe we can either confirm or deny that Brent is on the run uh, from some kind of authority figure, not unlike some of the people we'll be talking about. We can neither confirm nor deny that. Yes. But we hope we'll be able to he'll be able to come out of hiding or not hiding for the next episode.
1: Maybe Brent himself can become a thought leader. Who knows?
0: He could. I believe it. I believe in him. I think he could definitely become a thought leader.
1: All right. And since he's not here, I got to go into Brent mode for a second. So what are we talking about today, Dylan?
0: Well, today, as Forrest just mentioned, we are continuing our crypto craziness series. All of the weird side of the already weird world of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in particular. Today, we're talking about two thought leaders in particular, John McAfee and Craig Stephen Wright, as well as various theories about just who Satoshi Nakamoto is, the man, woman, or entity responsible with creating Bitcoin. So let's start with John McAfee. Who is John McAfee? And we want to say right up front, John McAfee has lived a long life, but it's not all related to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And so we're going to cover all those details in a bonus episode. Our next bonus episode is going to be all about John McAfee and all of his wonderful, wild exploits. But Bloomberg offers a nice overview just to get everyone caught up. Quote, The entrepreneur founded McAfee Associates in 1987, though the company has since passed through several hands. He was a person of interest in a murder in Belize, after which he returned to the U.S. In recent years, McAfee has been investing in digital coins, as well as promoting them for a fee. In his own Twitter feed, he is also running for U.S. president. So, Quite a life, quite a biography. But let's get into some of his forays into cryptocurrency. The first I've dubbed Cubacoin. He can have that for free. You know, McAfee, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin maximalists so far on the series, people who are just all about Bitcoin and they don't like any of the other cryptocurrencies. But McAfee isn't like that. He, in fact, as CoinDesk has reported, is offering his services to help Cuba develop their own cryptocurrency. Quote. Cuba is planning to use cryptocurrency to get around the 63 years of economic strangulation imposed upon 14 million Cuban people by the insanity of the U.S. government. Finally, a large-scale, real-world application for cryptocurrencies. If Cuba wants my help,
1: I am here. Oh, man. I mean, Michael Corleone has some major competition now for uh, getting control of Cuba.
0: Yeah, that's the next stage. It was, you know, mafia, gambling, then communism, than cryptocurrency. So casino, (laughs) communism, cryptocurrencies. It's just C's, all the C words. McAfee thinks that this project is both viable and so simple that he offered to help for free, quote, it would be trivial to get around the U.S. government's embargo through the use of a clever system of currency. So I made a formal offer to help them for free on a private channel through Twitter. (laughs) As of the time of this recording, however, Cuba has not taken up mcafee on this offer so you know maybe in the future uh, there will be some kind of cuba coin going on with mcafee's involvement for for now it ain't happening
1: by the way for somebody that's a self-proclaimed technologist as we'll find out later um the private channel with the communist government through twitter i like this
0: yeah not even the dms you know i mean there's so <laughs> there are a lot of very easy ways to have some kind of encrypted communication but, you know, he's he's hiding in plain sight. That's how McAfee does it. He's hiding <laughs> in plain sight. You know, he's going to put all his cards publicly on the table, just like the public blockchains that he favors. Oh, that's just kind of the I way see. he's thinking about
1: it. This is more of that 3D chess that I've heard so much about lately.
0: 3D, 4D, however many D's the blockchain can fit. That's what he's doing. All right. He's not just helping the Cubans develop crypto. He's developing his own called the McAfee Freedom Coin. Wow. The goal is to reach, quote, The holy grail of cryptocurrency economic freedom what is needed is a coin disconnected from fiat currencies and from other cryptocurrencies alike a coin with zero cash in value yet accepted universally it is not based on any commodity nor is it connected to the value or behavior of any external item or entity the value of the coin will always be zero in relation to any other currency yet its natural market value is free completely To grow. By
1: the way, McAfee is a big opponent of Facebook's foray into blockchain called Libra. But to be honest, even though Libra will be the official currency of the new world order, I think you and I can agree on that one, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I think that I will always use the NWO coin before I use anything called McAfee Freedom Coin. And as all listeners of this show know, anything with freedom in the name always means the opposite. Always. (laughs)
0: Always. We had the free society already and we've got the freedom coin. We had freedom fries. We saw with our (laughs) own eyes how that ended up. So we know we're not going (laughs) to fall for it again.
1: No, never again.
0: And as we all know, Libra isn't gonna be the new world order coin. It's gonna be Bitcoin, but we're gonna learn that a little bit later in this episode, so just keep your ass on. It's
1: very counterintuitive. You thought you were getting freedom, but you were getting pure tyranny.
0: Pure tyranny, it's pretty remarkable and true. So not only is John McAfee, you know, he's interested in crypto, he's helping develop cryptocurrencies, He is even running for president in 2020 on a basically all crypto campaign. And his campaign slogan is very simple, quote, don't vote McAfee, (laughs) which you might think that's a bit of a bizarre campaign slogan to have when you're running running for president. Generally, you want people to vote for you. That's kind of how the election thing works. But he clarifies this slogan as well as the role crypto will play in his campaign, quote, crypto is all I'm going to talk about. See, I don't want to be president. I couldn't be no one's going to elect me president, please God. (laughs) However, however, I've got the right to run. And he's right about that. (laughs) On his campaign website, McAfee offers this statement, quote, A major focus of the 2020 campaign will be on cryptocurrency. We believe that cryptocurrency offers a unique historical opportunity to the individual, a chance to liberate oneself without violence and to become more free. Money drives everything in this world and represents the strongest of the chains bound upon us by out-of-control government. We aim to break the chain for as many people as possible by helping them become familiar and comfortable with the technology that can empower them to do it. So that's pretty nice. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to vote for him because he asked me not to. You're only doing what he asks. Exactly. I'm only doing what he asks, but hey, doesn't seem too bad. And I have a feeling that crypto is going to become an even bigger topic because McAfee is what you'd call bullish on Bitcoin in particular. And by bullish, Dylan means full of bullshit. That's what. Well, that's not exactly what I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. Specifically, what I mean, what I'm referring to is on July 17th, 2017, John McAfee predicted that one Bitcoin would be worth $500,000 in three years. At the time that he made this statement, one Bitcoin was worth two thousand two hundred and forty four dollars and twenty seven cents. So that's a bit of growth that's going to have to do. He even put his body where his mouth is, making this promise, quote, if not, I will eat my dick on national television. (laughs) I mean, you got to hand it to him. He's really confident. And also, and, you know, just before we get too far ahead, before we get too far ahead, he did slightly revise his prediction in a later tweet. Quote, When I predicted Bitcoin at $500,000 by the end of 2020, it used a model that predicted $5,000 at the end of 2017. Bitcoin has accelerated much faster than my model assumptions. I now predict Burcoin, sick, at $1 million by the end of 2020. So $1 million. Wow. Now, not just $500,000. Most importantly, McAfee closes by saying, quote, I will still eat my dick if wrong.
1: (laughs) So, man, he must really think it's going to hit a million dollars.
0: He he does. Wow. And it's not just that Bitcoin is going to hit a million dollars. He thinks it's metaphysically necessary that it hits one million dollars in 2020. So he is very sure. Quote, come on, people it's time to brush up on your basic math skills and run some fucking numbers. (laughs) It is mathematically impossible for Bitcoin to be less than one mil by the end of 2020. Bitcoin is not an effing stock. You can't apply stock paradigms or formulas and expect answers. (laughs) So again, I think we could say the man is confident. Absolutely. Thankfully, someone who was identified only as a Bitcoin fan made a convenient prediction tracker to see how McAfee's prediction is going, and the URL is bircoin.top. That's b i r c o i n. top, referencing the typo that he made, calling Bitcoin burcoin in the original tweet. So I like that little uh, little joke in there. I like it. So the, on the prediction tracker, it shows that assuming just a simple linear growth, Bitcoin today should be worth around seventy-six thousand dollars a coin. It's currently at around 10,000, which is around 87% below the prediction. <laughs> um, but hey, you know, it's we shouldn't expect it to grow linearly. You know, that's not how things work, but just maybe we should be a little less confident than McAfee.
1: Especially with Bitcoin, because it can just go up and down. It can go up 40% one day, 50% another day, you know, so it's, Exactly. Never I, know. I mean,
0: my, my guess is if McAfee knows what he's doing, it's to just do a big pump and dump scheme right at the end and just pump it up to a million and then bring it back down. But anyway, this prediction tracker site ends with a note about McAfee himself. Quote, who is that John McAfee guy, the founder of McAfee antivirus? Some say he is a genius. Some say he is a lunatic. But that does not matter. This is not about McAfee. It is about comparing the price to a prediction that sounds too good to be true. Hmm. And there's another important website tracking all this, specifically keeping track of the more culinary side of the prediction. (laughs) And that site is called The Dickening Countdown to John McAfee Dick Eating, (laughs) or just dickening.com for short. Quote, If the price of Bitcoin is not reached $1 million by December 31st, 2020, John McAfee has promised to eat his own dick on national television. Conversely, if Bitcoin is worth $1 million by that day, most of the world is going to feel like dicks for not listening. A dickening will be had no matter what.
1: Oh, wow. So all bases are covered then.
0: All bases are covered. And I really like dickening.com because they're asking some really important questions about this whole affair. For example, quote, Is it possible to eat your own dicks? (laughs) And the site, in the same way that McAfee is very bullish on Bitcoin, Dicketing.com is very bullish on the possibility (laughs) of McAfee doing just that. Citing McAfee's athletic past, quote, A little known fact is that John McAfee became a yoga teacher after selling his (laughs) software company. Speculation is that if John McAfee loses his bet, he will not need a knife and fork. Instead, the limber McAfee seems quite capable of demonstrating to a national TV audience, the yoga pose downward dick eater. <laughs> oh my god! But sadly, even if McAfee loses the bet, we may never see McAfee's downward dick eater as he suggested on Twitter that he had a different method in mind. Quote, if the worst comes and I lose my Bitcoin bet, keep in mind, I promise to eat my dick. The cutting it off first was added by the media. Hmm. I will probably subcontract the task to a relay team of Bangkok prostitutes with instructions to carry out the task slowly, finishing
1: as I exit. Oh, well, of course. So
0: even this is a scam. But that gets covered. Oh, because a disappointed fan had the same thought. And they replied, you know, the bet was for McAfee to eat his own dick. Not some prostitute, not a sex worker.
1: Yeah, that's what and I And
0: McAfee retorted with a legally sound argument, quote, the law in every state is similar. Debts owed, whether intangible assets or in service, may be legally be fulfilled by agents acting on behalf of the principal. So that wily, wily McAfee. <laughs> I know, I know. So who knows what's going to happen at the end of 2020, a Bangkok sex worker might be involved, maybe some kind of fancy yoga pose. Maybe we all just look like dicks. Either way, a dickening will be afoot.
1: Then that's the important thing.
0: That's the important thing. But here's the really important thing. Oh God. McAfee isn't the only one who is so bullish on Bitcoin. In fact, a time traveler from the year 2025 has returned and confirmed his $1 million prediction. Emphasis on in fact. In fact. Who exactly is this time traveler? You might be a bit surprised by this. Their Reddit handle is YouLucaMagnota, and they made a post on August 31st, 2013, describing the increase in the value of Bitcoin. Quote, On average every year so far, the value of Bitcoin has increased by about a factor 10, from $0.1 in 2010 to $1 in 2011 to $10 in 2012 to $100 in 2013. All spelling and grammatical mistakes are being read. From now on, there's a slight slowdown as the value increased by a factor 10 every two years to $1,000 in 2015 to $10,000 in 2017, $100,000 in 2019 and $1 million in 2021. Some are a bit skeptical Hmm. about someone suggesting in a Reddit post. They just don't want to believe an honest man telling you he's a time traveler from the year 2025. They just don't want to believe it. Extremely rude, man. You know, it, that doesn't even matter to McAfee because McAfee is a consistent reliableist, And he responded, quote, does the source matter if the source has always been right? <laughs> so who cares if we believe that they're a time traveler, if they're always right, you should believe them. So how good are the predictions? So again, this post was made August 2013. So there's really only three predictions we can look at. That's for 2013, 2015, 2017, 2019, having not ended quite yet. In 2013, Bitcoin ended the year at around $764, which is slightly higher than $100. Yeah,
1: a little bit higher, yeah. A
0: little I bit, can, okay. I can see. Okay, so that's a little bit off.
1: Let's give him, cut him a little slack. A little it's bit almost, off. <laughs> only by $664 is off. A little, a little bit. Little. Like, hey, what can you do? In
0: 2015, the record high price for Bitcoin was $504. It wouldn't hit 1000 until January 2017, although it did hit $1,000 late 2013, early 2014. So it's hit 1,000 a couple years before, but it took again until 2017 for it to do it again. And then in 2017, Bitcoin hit a high of $19,783.06 on December 17th, 2017, which is more than double the Bitcoin time traveler claims. And so we see these discrepancies, but the one phrase I saw over and over to describe all this was that the Bitcoin time traveler is, quote, broadly correct. You see how you do that? What you do is you just be wrong multiple times, and that's the same as being broadly correct. I get it. That's the key. And, you know, the last prediction or the the second to last prediction is that Bitcoin will hit one hundred thousand dollars by twenty nineteen So only time will tell. Again, right now it's in the 10,000 range, I believe today. So hey, baby, it goes up $90,000 in a few months. I don't know. We just have to wait and see. So there are people who don't believe that this is the Bitcoin time traveler. There's people who argue about these predictions, but what gets lost is that the Bitcoin time traveler doesn't just predict or talk about the price of Bitcoin. They also offer a explicitly anti-Bitcoin dystopia Mm. that's about to happen into the future. This is what they really came to talk about, how Bitcoin has ruined the entire globe. Here's how that story unfolds. After Bitcoin hits $1 million, it's difficult to express its value in dollars since dollars are no longer used at that point. Bitcoin becomes the global reserve currency. In fact, there are no central banks issuing currency at all. There is no more fiat money. Woohoo! It, well, that's what some people are gonna be woohooing, but you might wanna hold your woohoos until the end. Oh, God. So, with a population of around 7 billion people and 19 billion bitcoins in circulation, the average person owns 0.003 Bitcoin, which again is around $3,000, assuming a million dollars of Bitcoin. But due to wealth inequality, the Bitcoin time traveler says the mean is lesser than 0.001 Bitcoins or $1,000. I speculate they meant median. Why are, you they bringing say,
1: your, why are you bringing your accuracy in here? What's that about?
0: I, I just want to help them out, okay. express themselves. I think, you know, I want to offer my services to this important message to the past. But they say the average is 0.003, but the mean is 0.001. I just want to let the listeners know we're not the one saying that he's saying that or they. So based on these numbers, the Bitcoin time traveler is posting to the Bitcoin subreddit, and they speculate that most of the Redditors on there are now rich in 2025. (laughs) He even lives next to one of these rich Redditors, quote, I live near an annoying young man who checked his old <laughs> wallet account two years ago and discovered that he received a tip of 0.01 Bitcoin back in 2013 for calling someone a faggot when he was a 16 year old boy. <laughs> Upon making this discovery, he bought an airline ticket, left his house without telling anyone and escaped to a citadel. So what on earth is a citadel? In the future, a citadel is a gated city where the Bitcoin rich live. That's what they're referred to. They're also referred to later as earlys, the early adopters of Bitcoin. Trolls on Reddit, basically. Trolls on Reddit and 4chan, basically. Yeah, exactly.
1: These symbols. Well, no wonder it's a dystopian future. <laughs> <laughs> if four, the if 4chan is a new elite, then we're doing completely fine.
0: <sighs> it's, it's pretty great. It actually somehow is worse than that. There is a new elite, and it's worse than 4chan. Oh, no. I know. So the citadels started as a way to protect Bitcoin mining operations. So we talked about all the computers required to mine Bitcoin. Basically, there were giant warehouses of computers. And eventually these were all gated off. So the the serfs couldn't break into them. And these (laughs) eventually just became where people live. They were just like, well, I mean, you know, we've already got the fortifications. We might as well use it to live here, too. And basically all the work in these citadels is automated. So it's like an Elon Musk wet dream. Just everyone's using Bitcoin. Nobody has to work. So what about the other governments? So we already know that the, there's no more central banks, but there's really no more governments either. Most of them have collapsed. Since the transition to Bitcoin, governments were not able to effectively tax citizens. They tried staying relevant by buying Bitcoin themselves, but this just increased <laughs> the value more and exacerbated the problem. So they, you know, they couldn't escape, dig in their own hole. Plus, unscrupulous government workers simply transferred large sums to their private wallets and skedaddled into the night. And so (laughs) and the way the Bitcoin time traveler describes it is that these are the new Edward Snowden's. The new Edward Snowden's aren't stealing secret documents. They're stealing Bitcoin from the government. Oh, my God. So government
1: shouldn't shouldn't have been using hot wallets. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's why the government is just—they're so fucking incompetent. They deserve to have all their it's Bitcoin. Really sad. Stolen. It's really sad. It was probably
0: just the president just had a bunch of paper wallets in his desk, and just somebody <laughs> just scooped them all up and, and
1: left. No, it, Trump had all his paper wallets, and um, they were caught on camera by journalists. <laughs> that was the, the private keys were <laughs> on the internet.
0: <laughs> That's what happened. Oh uh, yeah, he showed his public address. But there was a mirror behind them, and so you could just see the private address. It's terrible. Or the or the private keys, yeah. The private yeah, the pri- yeah, exactly. Okay, so we talked about who the new elite were. They're not four chan. in twenty twenty five. There are four mega Bitcoin whales. At fourth place is ASIC Miner, which is a kind of like steampunk dystopia Bitcoin mining company. You know, like how an alien, there's the company, you just Weyland. most sci- Yeah, Weyland, Yutani, just there's always this big, large corporation that owns everything. That's ASIC Miner. And they have 50,000 Bitcoin. Then there's the International Monetary Fund, They have a currency stabilization fund with 70,000. So they're third place.
1: It's nice to see that the New World Order is still in business. Yeah, it's nice. They're still doing stuff. It's great. They're still doing something. And they don't have the kind of control they used to have, but at least they got skin in the game.
0: They got skin in the game. That's what I like to see with the New World Order. In second place, Saudi Arabia with 110,000 Bitcoin. Ooh, that's a lot. And... In first place, the new elite of the globe: North Korea, one hundred and eighty thousand Bitcoin. That's right. The single richest entity in twenty twenty five is North Korea. You know, a bit you didn't see coming.
1: Well, I don't know. At the, at the same time, what government would be sanctioned so much to where they would resort to cryptocurrencies? I think it would probably be North Korea. So maybe it makes sense. Maybe.
0: And, Interestingly enough, there was a recent article in the Independent that talks about North Korea's Bitcoin hacking activities. And they estimate that so far the Democratic People's Republic has, you know, stolen somewhere in the range of $670 million worth of Bitcoin. And in 2025 exchange rates, that's 670 Bitcoin. So they only have 179,330 to go. <laughs> And they'll be at their 2025 numbers. So I believe them. I think they can do it.
1: They just got to find enough noobs with hot wallets and they can do it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So why Saudi Arabia and North Korea besides North Korea's hacking activities? The Bitcoin time traveler suspects that Saudi Arabia and North Korea were able to transition successfully into the Bitcoin economy because of their, quote, authoritarian political structures.
1: Yeah, well, so much for the libertarian utopia. Bitcoin is conducive to, to totalitarianism, apparently. That's great. Thanks, Satoshi. What a dick. So there's all this wealth. You might think,
0: okay, you know, at least there's some kind of, you know, we're free from all these governments unless you live in Saudi Arabia and North Korea. <laughs> Maybe you know, we're in the Citadel. At least in the Citadel, stuff is going pretty good. We got all this wealth. We're doing stuff with it. Well, that really because this wealth just is not being invested. In fact, economic growth is at around negative 2% a year. This is because Bitcoin is not inflationary. So somebody who has billions of dollars, they have no incentive to invest and grow the economy. They're already a billionaire and inflation isn't gonna cut in on their wealth. And incidentally, by the way, this was the single biggest problem that the Bitcoin subreddit commenters had about this post (laughs) these claims about inflation. This is why they couldn't get behind the Bitcoin time traveler zeroing in on the real problems here. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's not good, but you might think, look, whatever. They got billions of dollars. Everything's automated. If you were an early adopter, this must be an incredible society to live in. As long as you don't care about, you know, other people, (laughs) Well, not so much because you might think the early adopters have it easy, but anti-Bitcoin and anti-crypto terrorists saw what was happening, and they opted to murder anyone they could with big bags of Bitcoin or anyone who helped to remote cryptocurrencies. For example, quote, what happened to the Winklevoss twins? They were among the first to die. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty extreme. (laughs) The Bitcoin time traveler even speculates that due to rampant hostage taking, as many as 25% of the Bitcoin rich physically tortured someone to get their wallet. Holy shit. Like folks 25%? who win the 25%? 25% have tortured their way to Bitcoin millions or billions. By fiat terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> fiat, yes, fiat terrorists. It's terrible. And like folks who win the lottery today, many of these earlies, as they're called, Abandon family and friends and change their identities. So they won't get Winklevossed as the, the verb became <laughs> in the future. <laughs> this post Bitcoin transition was so horrific that it's referred to simply as the tragedy. A particularly gruesome part of that tragedy is what happened to Africa. The African Union, in an attempt to integrate Bitcoin into their economy, offered free cell phones tied to citizens government ID. Think of having a smartphone instead of a driver's license. It's all just one package. Presumably the plan was for everyone in Africa to pay for everything with Bitcoin and use their phone as a hardware wallet. Sounds good. Except things went south as soon as a Russian criminal organization discovered a security flaw in these government-issued cell phones,
1: allowing them to steal Bitcoin willy-nilly. And by the way, did the Bitcoin time traveler have anything to say about Trump's reaction to this act of financial terror by Russia?
0: You know what? He didn't, um, believe it or not. So again, the Bitcoin time traveler is returning to 2013. He might know something about Trump we don't know. Like maybe Mm. in his time, Trump never was president. And so he thinks Trump is going to fight the Bitcoin scourge and so he didn't want to you know affect uh, anything but all i can say is he did not mention president trump in his post my people
1: post. told me that uh russia did steal from the africans but uh putin said otherwise and i don't know maybe he's right i don't know why i wouldn't believe him
0: you know i would i would actually believe him at that point too because you know by that time putin is like a robot and he's like the cyborg and he's like integrated <laughs> into like a giant ai or something and it's yeah, just it's, his
1: it's like It's like Hal, but just his face. Everybody check out Elon Musk's Neuralink. Putin Mm. will have his brain in the game before anyone else, I believe.
0: Before anybody else. Okay, so what happened to Africa after the Russian criminals got access to the cell phones? Africa lost 60% of its wealth in 48 hours. Holy shit. Which is brutal. Very brutal. So, as you can imagine, there was a period of brutal civil war after this, just a continent wide war. And Saudi Arabia and North Korea, the two Bitcoin whales in the globe, had to step <laughs> in to calm things down. And they divided the continent amongst themselves and were treated as heroes by the Africans. Oh my God. You know, just like in imperialism of old, they were treated as heroes. One can understand then why 70% of Africans. Believe Bitcoin was made by the devil, according to the Bitcoin time traveler. I guess Pew grabbed enough
1: Bitcoins to stay in business so they could do these surveys. The, the free market would make sure that somebody was polling.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this sounds horrific. What do they do from here? Like, how do they get out of this hellscape? The Bitcoin time traveler explains that he is part of an underground resistance organization with a shocking plan. They have access to 20 nuclear submarines. <laughs> First, they're going to cut all the underwater internet cables, effectively eliminating the internet or at least de-internationalizing it. So you'll just have separate internets for different countries. Then they will nuke every major population center on earth. (laughs) The resulting chaos and confusion will lead to armed revolt, allowing resistors to destroy every computer they can and render Bitcoin irrelevant. Now... You might think this is an extreme plan, but the Time Traveler ends with this, quote, Of course, this outcome will likely lead to billions of deaths. This is a price we are forced to pay to avoid the internal enslavement of humanity to a tiny elite. This is also the reason we are sending this message to your time. It doesn't have to be like this. You do not have to share our fate. I don't know how, but you must find a way to destroy this godforsaken project in its infancy. I know this is a difficult thing to ask of you. You believed you were helping the world by eliminating the central banking cartel that governs your economies. However, I have seen where it ends.
1: And now that Dylan has told me all of this, uh, I'm just going to throw away all my Hazlitt, von Mises, and Hayek books at this point because I just cannot contribute to this dystopia.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the Austrian economists... It's these techno crypto nerds that are going to plunge us into nuclear war from an underground resistance organization. We should have seen it
1: coming like the birth pangs of this was when the Austrian economists helped out uh, Pinochet. Yeah. So I think that we should have seen it at that point. Like, oh, there we are. We were
0: blinded by the beauty of Chicago style economics. I'm just Mm -hmm. I I hate to say it. Great pizza. Great economics. (laughs) So that is pretty intense. But let's talk about something even more important, and that's the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, Forrest is going to talk about a lot of theories about who it is, but I'm going to end my section by talking about how McAfee himself claims to know who Satoshi Nakamoto is and even plans to reveal their identity. So far, it is unclear exactly when he plans on doing so. Quote, I've spoken with him. And he is not a happy camper about my attempt to out him. (laughs) While many doubt McAfee knows who Satoshi is, he is quick to remind them that he is suited to the task of finding out, quote, people forget that I'm a technologist. I am one of the best. My entire life, I've been tracking people who are the best in the world and hiding their identity. Finding Satoshi was a piece of cake for me.
1: Nice to see that he's uh, nice to see that he's humble as always.
0: Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And in April 2019, McAfee told Bloomberg he would reveal Nakamoto's identity within a week. (laughs) However, after meeting with his extradition lawyer, McAfee concluded that releasing Nakamoto's name would hurt his extradition trial, and so he decided against it. And that is an extradition to Belize, where we mentioned briefly in the beginning that he is a person of interest in a murder trial. And again we our next bonus episode on Patreon. if you pay five dollars a month, we'll talk about all about McAfee's exploits including his potential murder that he committed in Belize. It is a spicy story. But continuing on this, in a letter from his legal team, V Alfred Gray and Co, they advise McAfee against revealing Satoshi's identity because quote, there will be a possible lawsuit and other legal actions against yourself and will undoubtedly have you drawn to defend yourself on many
1: fronts. Well, sounds official to me, so I believe it. Yeah, I believe it too. Why would you and so, why would you not believe that? Yeah, it's perfectly reasonable. And so that
0: is John McAfee's voyage, we can say, just as he is voyaging in the Caribbean right now to avoid U.S. tax authorities. This has been his voyage
1: in the world of cryptocurrency. All right. So we're going to talk about Satoshi Nakamoto and his true identity. And as we've mentioned, nobody knows the real identity or identities of Satoshi Nakamoto. Well, besides John McAfee, as, uh, you know, as Dylan just told us. Yes. But there's a lot of very fun theories about who the real Satoshi is. One guy is Hal Finney. He was the second person, or the first, if he's Satoshi, (laughs) to mess around with the Bitcoin code and report bugs. But he has denied being Satoshi. Oh, that's all it takes. Just he denies it. That's it. Well, there you go. So, therefore, he is not. Nick Zabo is a second candidate, and he published a white paper proposing BitGold in 1998, which is very similar to Bitcoin, although he hadn't solved what's dubbed the double spending policy which Nakamoto did solve via proof of work, as discussed in the last episode. He also denies being Satoshi.
0: And isn't the double spending policy just, you know, spending the same amount of money twice? Yeah. That, what and that refers to?
1: Yeah, so I don't know all the technical details. That's all the article said when I read it. But uh, yeah, I believe okay. so. I believe so.
0: It's like if you're if you have a credit card and you're a piece of shit like I used to be, you can charge something and then like, you know, go over. But then it doesn't register yet in the company. And so you can use it to buy something else.
1: Exactly. And then the question is, if you're a decentralized currency, how can you you know solve that problem? Exactly. And Satoshi did it first to do it. And a third candidate is Dorian Nakamoto, whose birth name is indeed Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hiding in plain sight. I love it. You know, that's. You know, just like McAfee, that's how they all do it.
1: <laughs> so in a 2014 article from the Deep State Publication Newsweek, Leah McGrath Goodman reported that she had tracked down the creator of Bitcoin. "Quote: It seemed ludicrous that the man credited with inventing Bitcoin, the world's most wildly successful digital currency, with transactions of nearly 500 million a day at its peak, would retreat to Los Angeles' San Gabriel foothills, hole up in a family home, and leave his estimated $400 million worth of Bitcoin riches untouched. It seemed similarly impossible that Nakamoto's first response to my knocking at his door would be to call the cops. Now face-to-face with two police officers as witnesses, Nakamoto's responses to my questions about Bitcoin were careful, but revealing.
0: I like how she continued the interview with the police officers present. That's a journalist. That's awesome. That's how you do it.
1: Tacitly acknowledging his role in the Bitcoin project. He looks down, staring at the pavement and categorically refuses to answer questions. I am no longer involved in that and I cannot discuss it, he says, dismissing all further queries with a swat of his left hand. It's been turned over to the other people. They are in charge of it now. I no longer have any connection. In a October 2015 Reddit AMA, among other occasions, Dorian Nakamoto denied that he was the inventor of Bitcoin and that his seemingly tacit acknowledgement of being the Satoshi was based on a misrepresentation by Goodman. Quote, Miss Goodman replaced my conditional even if I was involved. And I further explained that I cannot disclose my work due to the engineer creed not to discuss employer sensitive information, which we sign before we are employed at the time without knowing Bitcoin. I thought she was asking about my work at Citibank. And by the way, I've got to say, this is weird given that adding the conditional, even if I was involved, does not seem to help his denial. Think about how it would read quote, even if I was involved in that, I cannot discuss it It has been turned over to the other people. They are in charge of it now. I no longer have any connection.
0: Yeah, it sounds as like I can neither confirm nor deny kind of statement. Yeah,
1: very, um, very strange.
0: I I also like so he thought he was talking about Citibank. Why would she be at his house if she thought? <laughs>
1: Who knows?
0: <laughs> he was just some random Citibank employee. Like, this is the guy I got to
1: get. <laughs> I think we can safely say this is Satoshi. Anyway, no, <laughs> So moving ahead. So there is a Bitcoin advocate, self-proclaimed thought leader, and apparent vampire, (laughs) Richard Hart. And if you check out his (laughs) live stream lair in his YouTube videos and the way he dresses, you'll see what I mean. Um, The way he has put it, since Satoshi's massive stash of coins mined in the early days appear not to have been touched, the only possible explanations are, one, Satoshi is dead. Two, Satoshi burned or lost his private keys. Or three Satoshi is in Hart's words a bitch. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure how that last one is relevant to spending money. So from what I can have gather, to-
1: it's basically these just mad that Satoshi isn't out there defending Bitcoin and helping Hart pump his Bitcoin bags and price. I think that's <laughs> so he's a bitch because he's not he's not out there (laughs) doing the marketing work that Richard Hart has to do basically.
0: Yeah. He's not making Hart rich. Okay. So (laughs) that, okay. I get that. Also just, uh, I just want to just say as a good rule of thumb, do not trust anyone at all who calls themselves a thought leader. (laughs) That is a meaningless phrase. They are liars and and mendicants, but I
1: trust, but Dylan, I've heard that Jordan Peterson is a thought leader. (laughs) I am not surprised. (laughs) And by the way, Oh, Dylan is totally right here. Um, I got to say, though, I, I find Richard Hart's long winded and ranting YouTube videos, strangely entertaining and funny, despite his extreme arrogance. And oh, boy, is it extreme. You should go check it out. <laughs> and by the way, shout outs to my favorite crypto YouTubers who are not arrogant, by the way. Ivan on tech and box mining. Check them out. I think they're very informative. If you're a geek like me, you will like the videos.
0: Yeah, I've been on tech. I haven't checked out box mining yet, but Ivan on tech is good. It's very. Good. I should also say, for total transparency, I have not yet seen Richard Hart on YouTube. So my statements about him being a thought leader is just that phrase in general. Just I think again the rule of thumb. But I oh no, not
1: he's a, he's a total egomaniac, and of course you can't. A lot of the details of his past are kind of like sketchy and weird. But it's entertaining, at least in my opinion. So you might be thinking that Richard Hart's list of alternatives seems pretty comprehensive. You know, bitch comment notwithstanding. But there's at least one possibility that Richard has missed. That Satoshi is in prison.
0: Oh. Ooh, yeah, see,
1: didn't see that one coming. And before we get into that, and don't worry, we will. First, it's necessary to talk about another Satoshi identification theory. And that is that Satoshi is actually an Aussie named Craig Wright.
0: And you all need to strap yourselves in. Oh,
1: yes. Because if
0: anyone is a thought leader in this
1: episode, <laughs> it is Craig Wright. <laughs> He's got a lot of thoughts and he takes the lead a lot. <laughs> oh. All right. So you may have noticed a running theme in the aforementioned Satoshi theories. And that is that all three of the other candidates have denied being Satoshi. Craig Wright stands out among them. With the opposite claim, he says loudly and proudly with emphasis on the loud part that he is the real Satoshi Nakamoto.
0: You know, I'm not sure about where you're putting the emphasis, because I think everything else also suggests we need to emphasize proudly as well. <laughs> I think he is very proud. I think so. And so too. I'm not sure if we're just going to emphasize the loud part, but he definitely is loud.
1: All right. So who is this Craig Wright? He's an Australian computer scientist and entrepreneur. By the way, that's the nicest way to describe him. Although there are other ways, such as that he's a con man. And and (laughs) wait, 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 just in case, (laughs) just like Scientology's lawyers in a previous episode, if Mr. Wright's lawyers are listening, we are totally not saying he is a con man only that it seems like maybe one could suspect that he is. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. We're not even suspecting him. It just seems like maybe one could
1: suspect he's a Exactly. Cop. It's uh, layers and layers of seeming and innuendo. So, <laughs> according to a great Wired article, which we'll go into detail on later, quote, As followers of the Satoshi Saga will know, Wright was the man outed in late 2015 by Wired and Gizmodo as a likely candidate to himself be Satoshi. Both publications later walked back the stories after it appeared that documents they'd relied upon had been faked and manipulated. Wright at first declined to address whether he was Satoshi, then attempted to prove he was. He failed to convince most of the Bitcoin community, which came to view him as a fraud, pointing to easily discredited proofs he offered in a PR-staged coming-out ceremony. Today, he aggressively asserts that he is Satoshi. His company, Enchain, backed by former online gambling mogul Calvin Ayer, has created an alternative to Bitcoin called Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. So (laughs) what is Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, or BSV, as notated on exchanges? It is another fork of Bitcoin. As a refresher from the last episode, a Bitcoin fork is simply the act of copying the Bitcoin core blockchain and taking it into a new direction henceforth. In this sense, it's a lot like Roger Ver's Bitcoin cash fork. And if you want to know all about the very stable genius that is Roger Ver, be sure to listen to part one of this series.
0: Exactly, exactly. And one question I did have seriously is why did Wright want to fork Bitcoin? Wouldn't he want to take ownership of Bitcoin Core, you know, being Satoshi and all and being the the grand wizard, so to speak, of all this? That's a
1: really good question, Dylan. Now, here's the thing. Now, again, I don't want to say this just in case rights lawyers are listening to this podcast, but I got you. I got you. But maybe maybe he's not Satoshi. I don't know. That might be Mm, that might be an explanation
0: that, you know, so you're I think you're starting to become a thought leader. I think (laughs) we're going to have to put that high level idea on the stack. You know, maybe let it percolate a little bit. Once we're at a recovery mode, we might be able to figure out what the truth is on the
1: map. When you become a true thought leader, what you do is you have a bejeweled throne. You put on a top hat, vampire clothing, um, <laughs> a bunch of candles and a bunch of jewels in the background, apparently. And then live stream that in 4K and then you are a thought leader.
0: Yeah, I think that's all it takes is a really good <laughs> camera. <laughs>
1: if, if, if Richard Hart is any indication, that's what you got to do. Yeah. All right. So Roger Veer from friend to enemy Uh,
0: in a debate. It's sad when it's sad when two thought leaders (laughs) fight each other. It's
1: really fucking sad. In a debate between Richard Hart and Roger Veer on YouTube, Roger Veer had a lot of nice things to say about Wright. This is apparently because anyone that's a foe of Bitcoin Core is totally cool. In the interview, Hart is a little more than skeptical that Wright is Satoshi. But Veer says this doesn't matter. After praising Wright for allegedly committing crimes involving tax fraud in Australia, Veer tells Hart, quote, with regards to Craig being Satoshi or not, I don't think it matters at the end of the day. Either what he's saying in regards to scaling is accurate and correct and a good path forward or it is not. And the things I hear him saying are the same sort of things that the original Satoshi said in his posts on the forum and his emails. And those are the same sorts of things that I signed up for when I got involved in Bitcoin. And those are the same sorts of things that led Bitcoin to become the incredible success that it is today. And those are the same sort of things and the roadmap that I think we should continue to follow down. I love, I
0: love this. Look, it doesn't matter if he's nuts. He's got a lot of good business ideas. I mean, it's like, (laughs) it's
1: like if I told you. And his idea ideology aligns with mine. So therefore good.
0: Yeah, that also helps. But I imagine if I said, Hey, Forrest, I know a guy He is investing. He is building restaurants in Detroit. And there's a lot of them. He's making a chain. It's going to be the next McDonald's. The only problem, we're going to invest millions. But the only problem is that he thinks he's Napoleon. But (laughs) everything else is sound. All his business plans are sound. He just thinks he's Napoleon. What's the big he deal? He thinks he's Napoleon. Who cares about that?
1: He thinks he's Napoleon and he goes on long-winded rants that make no sense in narcissistic tirades.
0: But yeah, who cares? He knows how cares? to flip
1: a burger. All right. So besides Craig Wright's fetish for large block sizes and anti-taxation activities, another reason Roger Ver liked Wright so much might be explained by the fact that Wright's company Enchain was a big help to the Bitcoin cash community in its early days. Mm. According to Wiki, quote, Dr. (laughs) Craig Wright founded the company in order to help Bitcoin, quote, scale to grow to become what it was envisioned to be. This quote, of course, came before the historic Bitcoin fork that led to the creation of Bitcoin Cash. Much of nChain's current production involves making and releasing software development kits, SDKs, to help create applications and technical solutions for Bitcoin Cash. In April 2018, Enchain announced it would be offering smart contract patents exclusively to developers in the Bitcoin Cash community through a software protocol they invented. So everything was hunky dory between Ver and Wright until August 2018. After that, things weren't so good. Again, from the Crypto Markets Wiki. In August 2018, Enchain proposed the integration of Bitcoin SV, SV stands for Satoshi Vision, as an alternative upgrade to a controversial upgrade proposed by ABC Bitcoin, a rival developer. This added to the already derisive tension in the Bitcoin Cash community, raising concerns that the community may split following a hard fork, similar to the split that originally created Bitcoin Cash. And now, if you thought veer and this is a guy that almost killed himself from lack of sleep by reading too much about Bitcoin was a high level genius. Then huddle your brain and buckle up because we're mooning all the way to the genius stratosphere. According to say,
0: let's just say Craig Wright is constantly experiencing the download process. It never (laughs)
1: ends. So according to Toshi times, quoting veer, it's never easy to admit that somebody fooled you. But maybe I've been fooled, Vera said while sharing a screenshot of an email that Wright had allegedly sent him. He got the email after he publicly backed Bitcoin Cash Development Group Bitcoin ABC, not Wright's SV, in the debate over the impending Bitcoin Cash hard fork. Wright allegedly wrote, Quote, Side with ABC? You hate Bitcoin. You are my enemy. You have fucking no idea what that means. You will. I am Satoshi. Have a nice life. You will now discover me when pissed off. And no, you could have had proof. Your choice. Fuck you. Wow, that's pretty rough. Yep. Wright made good on his threats and sued Veer. According to CryptoSlate, quote, the increasingly litigious Craig Wright sued Bitcoin Cash figurehead and former business partner Roger Veer for libel after being called a fraud and a liar. Vier responded to the lawsuit by seemingly debunking Wright's claim that he controlled several high-profile Bitcoin addresses, which could have suggested that Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. Wright submitted a list of Bitcoin addresses to a U.S. district court in Florida. These addresses are owned by him and a trust he operates. The addresses, which were described as a lazy copy-paste job, was supposed to prove that Wright owns some of the first Bitcoin addresses ever created. The apparent response from Veer was in the form of a signing statement from an address that Wright claimed to have controlled, which stated, quote, this Bitcoin address does not belong to Satoshi or Craig Wright. Craig is a liar and a fraud. (laughs) (laughs) And in case you're a bit lost... Just know that uh, some wallets have a signing statement feature where you can send out messages from your wallet. So this is like if you want to prove that this is your wallet, you can do that.
0: Yeah, it's like PayPal. Like when you send money to someone via PayPal, you can add a
1: note to it. Or like a a memo on your check or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. One thing I am confused about here, maybe you know the answer. Like how would you determine which wallets belong to Satoshi in the first place?
1: Um, I think it's that you can use the blockchain to find some of the earliest... Blockchain activity. I got and you. So, just whoever has the first. It, as one. I understand it too, it's very strange because uh, the wallets that are claimed to be Satoshis, like the Bitcoin have not moved from those wallets. Sometimes people will apparently like donate a whole Bitcoin to the Satoshi wallet. And there's like this weird superstitious thing going on where people are yeah. like giving. It must be that some whale that made like billions of dollars or something. This is their token of gratitude to Satoshi <laughs> or something. It's very. It's very strange, but, but yeah, apparently, so I haven't looked too much into it and I'm not an expert, but apparently you can track down what are believed to be like Satoshi's wallets. So I
0: gotcha. I wonder if he's just got them stashed away uh, for his children or his family or something like that.
1: Maybe, but apparently he can own something up to like, cause he apparently mined like a million Bitcoins or something. So it's, oh, wow. it's like, so that's a huge percentage of the number. I mean especially that's like, in
0: 2025 when one Bitcoin is worth a million, he'll have a million <laughs> m- a million. So
1: yeah. So if Satoshi's still alive, he has some something like five to seven percent of all the bitcoins. So that's that's a crazy <laughs> amount of money.
0: It's incredible.
1: So even though some in the crypto community that have studied the activity of this address on the blockchain suspect the address to belong to Veer. I can't verify this for sure and can't find anything else with Veer saying he performed the signing statement. In fact, Bitcoin.com, owned by Veer, lists the person who did it as a unknown person and early adopter. Hmm. Now, this could be because either A, it isn't Veer, or B, it is Veer, but he doesn't want to say it for privacy reasons. Whatever the truth of the real owner of the address, the only thing we know for sure is that the address doesn't belong to Craig Wright. Unless Craig Wright is even crazier than (laughs) you might already think. (laughs)
0: One thing that's interesting about this whole part of this Craig Wright saga is that this reminds me to our episode. I believe it was our second news episode, our second none dare call it news segment, where we talk about Serge Benhayon, who who is the cult leader for uh, universal medicine in Australia, and he sued a woman, Esther Rocket, who is kind of just a pain in his ass and just, you know, shitting all over him. Rightly so. Well, always online. exposing
1: his disgusting cult. Yeah,
0: Exactly. And he sued her for libel. But then the court sided with her because, like, the problem is that all her claims are true. <laughs> 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 so this kind of sounds similar where Craig Wright sues someone for libel. It turns out they're right.
1: So we're going to have a little glimpse into the character of Craig Wright. And that's the Rwanda remarks. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, it may not be unreasonable to think because of some of the stuff he said. He might be a bit crazy. Again, that's just something that you might infer from what you've heard, right? Yes. At an information technology conference in Rwanda, he told his audience, quote, Now, the fact of the matter on this is you can open up and allow free trade. You can open up and allow your country to be more or you can wait and hand money to a whole lot of people. And I'll say this quite frankly, because I've got more money than your country. The audience (laughs) gasps. (laughs) Wright continues. So I'm not going to ask for anything. I don't want your investment. I don't want like stellar and everything else to be handed money. I don't really care. I'm just going to develop solutions and they're going to go out there and they're going to be created and they're going to be used because we can basically make them that way. <laughs> now, one thing that annoys me is how, oh, I've got to be happy and tell everyone what they want. No, no. I'm I'm going to do things so that people can trade whether you like it or not. I don't want an African currency. I want the world.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Wow. I have
0: to say, the Bitcoin time travelers claims about Africa's wealth getting stolen are beginning to make a whole lot more sense. I mean, that and centuries of imperialism. Oh. But this is not helping.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is the problem of the history of imperialism, but... You know, I would say take heed of what the Bitcoin time traveler said from here on forward. More than anything, Africa needs to steer clear of Craig Wright for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) I wonder if after that conference, anyone was like, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I I would be very surprised if we got one person to sign on to that. Okay, so. But here's the thing. These are just tiny footnotes in the mountains of scandals that Craig Wright is involved in. He's basically the Trump of Bitcoin. So here's another taste of his antics from a Daily Beast article. Quote, Wired reported last year that there are holes in Wright's resume and that he may have misresented his academic credentials. To prove he really is Satoshi, Wright said he'd created what's known as a digital signature and affixed it to a document. In this case, a speech by the novelist, John Paul Sartre, from 1964, explaining why he was refusing to accept the Nobel Prize. Wright claimed that he made that signature using a cryptographic key that only Satoshi, as he's called, or someone close to him, would possess. But cryptology and Bitcoin experts say Wright is lying and that he simply ripped off an existing digital signature from another source and passed it off as a new one. We've got him dead to rights, Dan Kaminsky, a prominent computer security researcher who says he's proven Wright's ruse, told the Daily Beast. The guy's a scammer. Wow,
0: wow. And I mean, you know, kind of speaking of Jean-Paul Sartre, I think I've figured out the problem. The problem is that, you know, Craig Wright might be Satoshi for himself. He isn't Satoshi in himself. Ah, I think that's, that's what he is mistaking here. I think he needs to go back, maybe do a little bit more reading on the existentialists, and then he'll figure out his problem.
1: I also like, again, it's a little glimpse into the psychology of Craig Wright, is he's going to use this quote from John Paul Sartre who's denying the Nobel Prize to be like, I like this is something to do with why I've denied being Satoshi or something. To me, that's <laughs> yeah, they're just
0: basically, the same. Yes. basically the same. Yes. Basically the same.
1: Even though he comes out later and says, No, I am. So it's basically like, oh yeah, I'll deny the Nobel Prize, but give me that fucking Nobel Prize. <laughs> All right. So Wright has gone so far as to claim a copyright of the Bitcoin code and white paper with the United States Copyright Office. A representative of Wright stated, quote, The registrations issued by the US Copyright Office recognize Wright as the author under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto of both the white paper and the code. This is the first government agency recognition of Craig Wright as Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. Now, the United States Copyright Office, as a response to this very statement, which they now have on their website, (laughs) had a somewhat different take. Quote As a general rule, when the Copyright Office receives an application for registration, the claimant certifies as to the truth of the statements made in the submitted materials. The Copyright Office does not investigate the truth of any statement made. In a case in which a work is registered under a pseudonym, the Copyright Office does not investigate whether there is a provable connection between the claimant and the pseudonymous author. So, yeah. Still not convinced that Craig Wright is not Satoshi? Well... There's this hilarious YouTube video titled Craig Wright remembers reading the paper he wrote in which Wright on stage in front of a live audience says the following quote I remember some white paper back in 2008 had this section on how identity worked in Bitcoin I remember reading it probably when I wrote it <laughs> <laughs>
0: honestly you know as a former writing tutor i always told my students that they need to read what they wrote you know and they didn't always do it following your advice exactly i'm glad he read it he probably read it when he wrote it you know maybe some of the other white papers he just typed it out and just that's it i'm done those thoughts are gone i'm a thought leader not a thought follower i'm not going to follow my own thoughts i need to forge ahead to the new thoughts
1: Oh man! And if you want to, by the way, everyone listening, when you're done listening to this podcast, go look up this video. You will not be disappointed. It's the best video we'll
0: ever. We'll have a link on the uh, the the blog yes. for this episode.
1: Okay. Now that's a lot of juicy scandals, but perhaps the juiciest scandal of them all is the current one Craig Wright is embroiled in. And as I said before one possibility for why Satoshi hasn't done anything with his Bitcoin stash is because he's in prison. Mm. This is a possibility even the great thought leader Richard Hart could not see. <laughs> and that's what brings us to the weirdest and most intriguing Satoshi theory yet, that Satoshi is actually an incarcerated drug lord. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Evan Ratliff of Wired Magazine writes, quote, I spent five years tracking Paul Cowder LaRue a South African programmer who built a global drug and arms dealing empire and transformed himself into one of the 21st century's most prolific and pursued criminals. I'd obsessively cataloged his life from his early history as an encryption coder through his creation of an online prescription drug business worth hundreds of millions of dollars to his diversification into smuggling, weapons, and violence to his 2012 capture by and cooperation with the DEA. (laughs)
0: <laughs> he, he diversified into violence.
1: <laughs> hey, anything to make money. You monetize everything. This is the libertarian dream. That's incredible.
0: How um could I invest in some violence futures, please? I need to diversify <laughs> my portfolio.
1: I guess if you hire a hitman, that is investing into violence. <laughs> so, these uh. questions about Satoshi, however, filled me with a special kind of dread i traveled down the Satoshi rabbit hole before and returned empty-handed. But now the messages about LaRue kept coming, driven by 4chan and hacker news threads churning over a tantalizing new clue, a footnote in one filing in a multi-billion dollar federal lawsuit in Florida. This is where things start to get weird. The defendant in the lawsuit is an Australian computer scientist named Craig Wright. The lawsuit drawing Paul LaRue into the mor- morass was filed in 2018 by Ira Kleiman, the brother of Dave Kleiman, Wright's friend, fellow computer security guru, and business partner who died in 2013. Represented by the powerful law firm Boys, Schiller, Ira Kleiman asserts that her brother and Wright mined hundreds of thousands of bitcoins together. Upon Kleiman's death, Wright is alleged to have transferred Kleiman's share to himself and his businesses, depriving Kleiman's estate of digital currency that is today worth billions. Now to the footnote. This April, Wright's lawyers filed a motion asking the judge in the case to seal Wright's responses to certain deposition questions. Wright claimed that the disclosure of these answers, which involved people whom the pair had supposedly helped law enforcement apprehend, could, quote, endanger him and other persons and, quote, implicate national security concerns. The names of these people were redacted, as were the footnotes elaborating on Wright's answers. But his lawyers appeared to have made a mistake. Failing to black out a footnote containing links to a news article and Wikipedia page about one Paul Cowder LaRue. Ooh. Oh, yeah. It's getting,
0: getting interesting. This reminds me of the Proud Boys who didn't know how to redact their own documents and just revealed their entire Oh, yeah, that was great. Structure.
1: Yep, we have it's all a bunch of high level geniuses in all of these groups. All right,
0: exactly. Just just remember, kids, using the black highlighter on Google Docs or Microsoft Word, you can still read under those if you highlight them. So don't do that. Exactly. Don't be a proud boy.
1: (laughs) So Radliff did not want to go back down the Satoshi rabbit hole again, as he said, but he simply could not resist after new information came up from the Craig Wright lawsuit. Quote, exhausting as this whole thing seemed ultimately it was the fear of embarrassment that drove me back down the satoshi hole what if larue was satoshi i began to wonder and after all my years researching him somebody else proved it which outcome was worse joining the ranks of the humbled speculators or failing to solve the internet's greatest mystery with the right answer right in front of me i opened up the larue archive i'd built for the book and started poking around over a few days, I found myself uncovering surprising correlations I'd missed or discounted the first time. After a couple more, I'd built a spreadsheet mapping the evidence for and against the proposition. Within weeks, I pored over every piece of writing credibly attributed to LaRue or Satoshi and found myself perplexed at the growing size of the four column on my spreadsheet. I called up experts, ran my evidence by them, and found no one who could really shoot it down. After a month, I was able to convince a colleague with deep cryptocurrency knowledge someone who'd followed every twist and turn of the Satoshi saga, that LaRue was the odds-on solution to the mystery of who created Bitcoin. Wow. So, what are some of the reasons to believe that LaRue is Satoshi? Ratliff gives us quite a few. They include, LaRue is fluent in C++, which is what Bitcoin's software is written in. He's a self-taught expert in encryption and networking. He had developed a disk encryption software called Encryption for the Masses, which was something of a precursor to Bitcoin, and even announced it on a cryptography mailing list in the same manner Satoshi Nakamoto did for Bitcoin. And then also, this is really strange. The writing styles of LaRue and Satoshi are uncanny in their similarity, including being a strange mixture of both American and British style English. Mm. So for example, there will be a lot of English colloquialisms, but there will also be, he'll spell colors, C-O-L-O-U-R, for example.
0: Oh, I gotcha.
1: I gotcha. Right. Right. And it should be noted that LaRue spent much of his life in the British Commonwealth and the United States. Oh, okay. Philosophically, they both had an anti government sentiment and deep distrust of the banking establishment. And one of LaRue's fake passports had him listed as Paul Solochi Calder LaRue. Hmm. Hmm. On the other hand, Ratliff also has reasons to not believe they are the same person. Among those, Satoshi would sometimes employ very technical jargon, whereas LaRue typically did not. Satoshi frequently employed two spaces after a period, something LaRue never did. Satoshi would write source code as one word, whereas LaRue would write it as two. And Satoshi thought Bitcoin might be a solution to spam, whereas LaRue was a spam champion. So <laughs> A spam champion? <laughs> well, by that I mean he was very much involved in spamming people for, for money, basically.
0: Oh, okay, I gotcha.
1: Yeah, he, he was he was early into that thing. So Ratliff recognizes he has no hard evidence and because anti-government tech nerds are aplenty. Yeah. He's perfectly willing to accept that this could all just be that Jonathan Kahn download process we've talked about (laughs) so much on this podcast. And again, if you want to know um, what the download process is, go check out the MAGA, M-A-G-A church episode on our podcast. Ratliff writes, quote, it's often said that there is really only one way to verify Satoshi and that's for the person or persons behind the name to come forward and then use Satoshi's private keys to move spend or cryptographically sign the original blocks of bitcoins. Paul Larue is scheduled to be sentenced in federal court this August. And if he is Satoshi, it'll be anywhere from 3 years to life before he'll be able to do any of that.
0: I mean, why? I mean, people in prison have computers.
1: Well, no, but but the, but okay, but here's the idea is that um, those bitcoins would be on like a hard drive or something. Oh really yeah. That's the you. idea at okay. least. Because you would assume Satoshi would have been smart enough to use the highest form of security to guard his Bitcoins. He wouldn't have just some shitty software wallet. I don't think even think that there were like convenient hot wallets made. I think at the time you either put them on a hard drive or you had a paper wallet. I think that's what were your only options in the beginning of Bitcoin.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha.
1: So let's assume for a second that LaRue really is Satoshi. What connection does he have to Craig Wright? I want to be clear. We don't know anything outside of the vague link to LaRue that Wright's lawyers failed to redact, Proud Boy style. But that's not stopping wild speculation all over the internet. Of this speculation, Ratliff writes quote, Craig Wright must have known LaRue, the story went, and known that he was the man behind Bitcoin, perhaps even collaborated with him. Then, realizing by 2015 that LaRue was held incommunicado in U.S. custody, Wright began setting himself up to Satoshi while he and Calvin air set to work, cracking the encryption on Satoshi LaRue's stash of original bitcoins or something like that. Frankly, it was hard to follow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's the idea. I would, it would be funny though. If LaRue started moving Satoshi coins while in prison, that would be, working. yeah, that would be the best. But by the way, do check out Evan Ratliff's article on wired full title. Was Bitcoin created by this international drug dealer? Maybe it's a fascinating read. <laughs> it's a fascinating read, but there's just far too much information to fill on this podcast episode. Also, I mean, this, might, we, this,
0: this might be a reason to add to thought leader Richard Hart's reasons as to why those Bitcoins aren't being moved is because LaRue doesn't want to give Bitcoin a bad name, knowing it was invented by an international drug smuggler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so how's the lawsuit going for Craig Wright? Here's a few great highlights from a Yahoo Finance article. Quote, he said he ruined inventing Bitcoin because it had been linked to criminal activities, including drug dealing and money laundering. He described his own fork of Bitcoin, Bitcoin SV, as being compliant with law enforcement. SV was reportedly used to process child pornography last year.
0: Oh Well, see, he didn't mention so, so that. Much. He just said drug dealing and money laundering. He said nothing That's about true. child porn.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He, did, he doesn't ruin vending Bitcoin for that.
0: Yeah, whatever. Right. Who cares? Free markets. Another
1: quote. Another quote. At several points, Wright offered jarring, uncommon characterizations of the Bitcoin protocol. He described the technology foremost as a mandala network and claimed the phrase public address, a term most commonly used to describe where Bitcoins are sent, was a misnomer, though the case depends on his producing a number of such public addresses. There are no public addresses at all in Bitcoin, he said.
0: What is he talking about with this?
1: (laughs) They are jarring and uncommon characterizations of the Bitcoin protocol, for sure. All right. Another quote. At one point, Wright threw a document and was chastised by the judge, who threatened him with handcuffs. Wright later apologized. I'm very sorry, Your Honor. I lose control sometimes, he said. My wife is a psychologist, and she's working with me. (laughs) So a very stable genius for sure.
0: Yeah, certainly. All By the right. way, nothing now wrong if- with seeing a psychologist, but there is something wrong with just using it as an excuse and then it's also your wife. Because that seems a little <laughs> vicious.
1: <laughs> so if that wasn't enough, there's a wonderful Twitter account at fake Toshi, which was created to reveal Craig Wright's tweets to the many people he blocked. And even though Craig Wright's actual account is no longer active. We still have the bot account to preserve many of his high-level genius tweets for posterity. Here's just a tiny sample of the wonderful nuggets of wisdom you'll find on there. Number one. So here's the irony in calling me a Bond villain. James Bond works for the government. (laughs) Why not come out as Satoshi? That makes me the issuer. And as I create and start to teach law enforcement and prosecutors what that means... I also hand the evidence of the first issue of any blockchain based money to them on a platter to all those who say, just prove it. No, I will do as I want my story and I will tell it in my time. I never planned to, but due to action from a con man, I will. If you think you are owed, lol, (laughs) not one of you are owed anything. Most of you are all I despise in this space.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> and I'm reading it as typed by the way with all the grammar intact. I wonder if people understand defamation laws well enough to understand what is coming. As I have said, I have long time frames. In the years to come, you're going to be paying me or using Bitcoin the way I created it or both. And you still think it matters whether I am liked by you? I am a legal scholar. And if you thought not drunk the Kool Aid, you may see the value of your responses to be. God, I loathe politically correct assholes. Scum squared. <laughs> <laughs> I block complete idiots and associated dickheads. So don't bother asking for changes away from the white paper, not happening. By the time you figure out what I've been doing, you will only be a decade behind. <laughs> And last but not least, the most unfair thing on this earth is equality. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And the one really
0: nice thing about the at bot fake Toshi account is that it made Craig Wright so mad that he quit that account. He had a Twitter account with 60,000 followers. He deleted it and made a brand new one just so no one could follow his tweets anymore but then that account got suspended. So <laughs> he is just shit out of luck when it comes to Twitter. Craig's not having good luck in general. He is, is not. It's, man, scum square, dude. Those politically correct assholes ruining his day. <laughs> and the most unfair thing on this earth, really, is that we are done with part two of our crypto craziness series. So, Forrest, what did you learn in today's
1: episode? What most intrigued you? Well, I mean, I love the idea that Satoshi might be a drug lord. I think that that (laughs) That is is pretty good, an absolutely wonderful thing. And I wonder how that would affect the price if it was discovered he was a drug lord. Would that make people freak out? Because I'm sure that then the United States government would have everything they needed to really go after Bitcoin hard. That's that what I'm point.
0: wondering. And that would be a reason why he's not spending them because he knows it would hurt his wealth. Exactly. If he spent it and everyone figured out, oh, it's this is just drug money.
1: Like if he got um, maybe if he gets out, then he can out of prison. Apparently, like the minimal sentence was three years. I think like that he's, that's the minimal sentence he might get maybe after three years, he's out and he can start slowly moving it. And, uh, but then again, it would be weird if it's like, Hey, LaRue's out of prison and all of a sudden the Bitcoins are moving.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd have to do it real quick. Just get it all into his Coinbase account and then just sell it all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another thing too, is in this like Trump era, this is becoming more apparent to me. And we we went over this in the Lyndon LaRouge episode. Did you remember the, uh, scientists that signed on to the LaRouge agenda because they were, convenient for their own purposes.
0: Yeah. The fusion science. And the
1: same thing here with like the Bitcoin cash community and Roger Veer. Now again, Roger Veer, whatever you make of him, he's like, he's, he's a character, but he's not, not the extreme con man, bad guy that Craig Wright is. Yeah. Yeah. And, but he was still willing to sign off on anything Craig Wright did, including, you know, hyping up that this guy is Satoshi and all that just because he was useful for Bitcoin cash and his ideology and all that. And look, if there's a guy that's saying crazy things, he's barely coherent. He's a liar, a constant liar, pathological liar. Just because his ideology or something else aligns with yours, don't get into coots with him. I think that's a very good that's a very good lesson for the Trump era, I think. Yeah, I fully agree. And what did you learn, Dylan? What was most intriguing to you?
0: The Bitcoin time traveler. I love that so much because, again, Forrest told me about it, you know, and I knew with McAfee, I knew about the million dollar prediction that he said that, you know, people should agree with him because this time traveler agrees with him, too. (laughs) And I knew people talking about that part. And then I looked at the post and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest crypto dystopia story I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually know anything about that outside of um, just McAfee commenting on the time traveler. I didn't know all the details, so I did learn that. That was all really great.
0: Yeah, the it's incredible. And I love how the only problem that all the Bitcoin commenters had was that it was like, oh, it's not inflationary. And everyone's like, no, that's actually wrong. It really can be inflationary. And that was the only thing they were arguing well, again, about. It's,
1: it's, it kind of goes along with what I was just saying, is that you can get so deep into your ideology where... The crazy thing right in front of your face just goes unnoticed. Yeah, and you're more concerned with the things that are going against your pet ideology. Yeah, which is the hilarious it's like thing. an
0: ideology filter Not where you don't even read all the stuff about the Winkleboss twins getting murdered. <laughs> you just go straight for the inflationary stuff,
1: or the fact that you're chatting with a guy that's saying he's a time traveler from the future on Reddit. You know, like. <laughs> It's all, it's all obviously absurd, but I think that's the thing. Like, it's just, again, like Craig Wright is clearly somebody you should not trust, but hey, he helps out the Bitcoin cash protocol. So he's my friend. Yeah, exactly. And something similar is going on there. Like, uh, well, you know, Hey, let's listen to this guy, but wait a minute. He's wrong about inflation and deflation. So, Hey, n- now I'm skeptical. Yeah. Now I'm skeptical.
0: Yeah. We're going to end a little differently this episode. Cause one thing you might've noticed is our new intro theme which was remixed and performed by Sergio Medina of the band Royal Coda. And we love it so much. He did an incredible job. Yes. And you're also going to hear, you're also going to hear his outro at the end of this episode as well. So that's going to get changed up too. getting a little, getting renovations happening in the audio sphere. And you will find in the show notes for this episode, a link to his band's website. Check out their music. Incredibly good stuff. We are also shilling his Bitcoin address. That will also be in the show notes. Send him all your Bitcoin. He doesn't even pretend he's Satoshi. Because you <laughs> know why? He's got self-confidence. He knows he can do the job. He can write music. He can perform. He's a virtuoso. He doesn't have to, be, he doesn't have to pretend to be anybody he's not. Exactly. Because that's the kind of person Sergio Medina is. We love and Sergio. So we, are in, we love Sergio. Check out the link in the show notes check out his Bitcoin wallet, send him all the Bitcoin you have, hijack Satoshi's wallet, send him his Bitcoin. He deserves to be a billionaire if any of us does. And with that, we are done. Thank you for listening to Nun Dare Call It Ordinary. You can find us on Twitter at N-D-C-I-O, Instagram at nun Dare Call It Ordinary, and send us an email at nun dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. For only $1 a month, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary For information on all our episodes, as well as links to our YouTube channel and Discord server, head over to our website at non-dare-call-it-ordinary.com. As always, we ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served.